0: Chapter 4 of Seven Autumn Leaves of Fairyland. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Claire Whitaker. Seven Autumn Leaves of Fairyland by E. Cunningham. The Two Princes, Part 1. There were once two queens, one in the northeast and one in the southwest both beloved of the fairies, and each with a son born on the same day. Their husbands, the kings, were killed soon after in battle, and these two queens, having much upon their hands, and fearful of the future, asked the fairies to give protecting gifts to their boys that would serve them when they grew up. But the fairies, though ever so willing, could only offer one to each, and they gave the queens the choice of what they would have. The north-east queen, with the fair boy, after much thought, seeing that she had an unruly people and many enemies, asked that her son might be resolute. The south-west queen, with the dark boy, chose that he should be ready of tongue, for her people, though noisy and clamorous, were easily led by agreeable and persuasive words. The boys were brought up by their mothers, with great care, and though, living far apart, and unknowing of each other, being born under the same star, had like fortunes, and were destined, though they did not know it, to meet at some time or other. Both were tall, strong, and active. Both could ride, throw a javelin, or shoot an arrow, better than any one else in their country. And both were taught to catch in the hand an arrow in full flight, and to avoid the thrust of a spear, though close to the breast. The gifts proved well chosen. The North East Prince, when he reached manhood, found his kingdom in disorder, and his mother hard-pressed by many enemies, he had at first only a few soldiers, but when they found that he never tired and never turned back, that one by one he overthrew all the robbers and bad people that troubled the country, more came to him, and they all grew so bold that no number made any difference, and they always conquered. So, after a few years, his little kingdom was at peace, and he was known all through the neighbouring countries as Prince Resolute. The Southwest Prince, on his part, when he came to rule, found his country full of noisy talkers, and though, having plenty of good soldiers, he could easily conquer all his enemies, these talkers so excited the people that the land was full of turbulence. But he proved the best talker of all, and so won the people's hearts, that at last he was able to take all the other talkers and put them in treadmills, where they ground corn instead of talking, and thus his kingdom also became very peaceful. He was called Prince Silvertongue. But now both queens fell ill, and the physicians, being unable to cure them, they sent to the fairies to know if they could be made well, or whether it was their death illness. The fairies sent answer it was curable, but only by the leaves of the tree of health, which lay in deep woods beyond the mountains of the sun. Now all the world knew that nearly everyone died on the way who went for those leaves, and were never heard of again. Only once or twice in faraway times had they been gathered and brought back, So the two queens prepared to die, as they thought the leaves could not be had. But their sons loved their mothers so much, that they resolved that they would fetch the leaves, or not come back themselves, and each left his own country, secretly and alone, upon the adventure, for so only could it be accomplished. Each was dressed in steel armour, with spear and sword and mounted on a good horse, and each, as he travelled, approached the other, without knowing it, for well, there was only one pass through the mountains, and that lay midway between. So here are our two princes, all preliminaries cleared away, bound upon their adventures, and depending for success on their own hands and heads alone. It was now of no use to them that they were princes, and they would have fared ill, as you will see, if they had been too lazy people all their youth, and not have improved themselves for study and pains as they had. Prince Resolute, steadily travelling on came the first of the two to a great desert of sand and stones here were no houses no dates trees no springs he saved his food and water all that he could but be as sparing as he might the day came when his water was gone and neither he nor his horse had drank a drop for many hours he now walked as the horse grew weak but they were beginning to faint under the hot sun, when he saw in the distance the green patch of a desert spring. He was glad at heart when he saw that, as you may think, and they quittened their steps as their thirsty throats in anticipation already felt the water cooling their parched tongues. But as they came near, Prince Resolute saw a number of desert people at the spring, just mounting their horses and camels. So he mounted his horse and prepared for fight, and as he rode up, "'They left the spring, and stopping between him and it, "'the leader called in a loud voice, "'Pass on, stranger. "'There is no water here but for the desert men.' "'Then Prince Resolute was very angry, "'and would have been glad to attack them, "'but when he spurred his horse, "'the poor creature was so faint "'that he could not move from his walk. "'There was no fighting for Prince Resolute. "'He could only upbraid and threaten, "'and to that they gave no heed.' "'so he was obliged to pass on as they ordered. "'Before long his horse fell upon the sand, "'overcome by heat and thirst, and died, "'and his rider was not much better off. "'Still he never thought of turning back, "'if that had now been possible, "'and throwing away his armour he kept on as well as he could. "'Soon he threw down his spear, and after that his sword, "'for now he was so much weakened "'that it would be well if he saved his life at any cost.' He had only his dagger left to defend himself with, if in danger, and for clothes only those which he had worn under his armour. But now at last, just as he was ready to expire, he saw before him the bounds of the desert. There he knew must be water, and perhaps a date tree. He struggled on, and just as he felt he could go no farther, gasping for life, as it were, he reached the banks of a small river and fell, stumbling on its brink when he had satisfied his thirst, he looked about and found date trees in ambience so after a few days he was able to go on he was now on foot but being strong and bold he walked cheerily on and already began to forget his desert trials and his losses as he walked he heard the tramp of a horse behind in the rocky road and being without arms he hid himself and soon saw a knight in handsome armour ride past he waited until he was out of sight then continued, much wondering that any one could have passed that dreadful desert, and saved both horse and armour, and also, what could be his errand on that lonely road? The clever little people that hear this story will know it was Prince Silvertongue, and that he was bound on the same errand as Prince Resolute. What they will want to know besides is how he got there, so we will go back to him as he reaches the borders of the desert a short time after our first prince he also was careful to waste no bread or water but the way was long and he also at last had nothing for either his horse or himself he also walked leading his horse and at last he saw the green island of the spring in the midst of the cruel sand but when he drew near and the desert people rode out and the leader cried pass on stranger there is no water here save for the desert men he answered softly noble prince "'The water is yours to give or to withhold. "'Hear my story, and if you then say, Pass on, "'I will pass without further word, though to my death.' "'When the desert men heard this polite answer to their rough order, "'they said among themselves, "'This is a noble person, and his story may be a delight to hear. "'Let us agree with him.' "'So they agreed, and as he could not speak long for the reason of his parched tongue,' They gave him and his horse a little water before he began. Prince Silvertung told them of his mother, her goodness, her illness, and of his errand, and he asked them in the name of their own mothers to let him finish it, and then, if they wished, he would return and give them his life. He said nothing of his being a prince. When he concluded, they all embraced him, led him to the water, filled his water-skins and his bags with dates, and when he departed, they told him he had but to speak and the very stones would do as he wished. So, being well supplied, he reached the farther bounds of the desert, rested for a while on the banks of the river, and shortly passed Prince Resolute, as we have seen. As night approached, he travelled on quickly, the way being stony and difficult in the dark, and soon left Prince Resolute far behind. The next day, as he journeyed, he heard, towards noon, the noise of a cataract, which seemed to descend from the mountains near which he now was. As he approached, it grew louder and louder, resounding through the air. Ah, here is the next trial, he thought. At last he reached the bank, and saw an angry river rushing down a deep and wide ravine, and bearing with it trees and rocks. It was so furious and wild that it seemed as if no man nor horse could enter it and live. Prince Silvertongue rode down the stream some way, but found no passage, while above the way was barred by great rocks. Where the rough road met the river, there was a small rock in the middle, and after watching some time, the prince saw that every now and then there was a lull in the rush of water, and though the flood still whirled and edded, he thought the rock might be reached in the short moment of quiet. Each time, however, when the lull came, it came so suddenly, and the moment he knew was so short, "'that he failed to spur in at the instant, "'and so, uncertain and wavering, "'he spent most of the afternoon. "'At last, seeing that the sun approached its setting, "'he made up his mind to plunge in at the next lull. "'It came, more suddenly than ever. "'He hesitated, then gave his horse the spur, "'and in they went. "'The noble charger struggled bravely with the current, "'bearing his heavy burden of man and armour. "'He neared the rock, but alas!' The loss of that first moment was fatal to him. The current swelled to fury, and he could not gain it. Just as he was swept away, however, the prince threw himself forward, caught a projecting point, and drew himself to safety. His horse disappeared among the whirling waters and was lost. The prince had still to swim the other half, and throwing off his armour, and leaving that and his sword and spear, he made ready for the lull, now very watchful to lose no moment. It came as before, and as it came he plunged, and swimming with all his strength, he just reached the farther bank. There he lay, breathless but thankful. And now you see both princes, reduced to the same plight, and not only no longer with any advantage through being princes, but without horse or arms, with nothing to help their stout hearts and good wits, but their hands and a slender dagger. Prince Silvertongue, "'Soon recovering, went on and found shelter for the night "'in a hollow rock by the wayside, "'which formed a rough sort of hut "'and gave shelter for a fire to warm and dry by. "'He had lost so much time by the river "'that, though left so far behind, "'Prince Resolute came up to it "'but towards nightfall of the same day, "'and, like his fellow traveller, "'went for a while up and down looking for a ford. "'He also found none.' and soon observed the strange and momentary lull that came in the rapid rush of the river. He lost no time in making up his mind, and true to his name, when the moment came plunged instantly in, and reached the rock without difficulty. Here he found the armour and weapons of Prince Silvertongue, and easily saw what had happened to the knight that had driven by so bravely the day before. He could not take them, for it needed all his force to reach the shore, which he did safely when the lull came. Night was now upon him, but it was so wild and chill by the river bank that he continued on for a space, and so it happened that before long he saw the light of Prince Silvertongue's fire. He cautiously approached, but seeing that it was a single man, and moreover that it was probably the knight who had lost his armor and horse in the river, he showed himself in the bright light and called aloud, Sir knight, give me leave to try and warm myself by your fire. Prince Silvertongue was astonished at hearing a human voice, but answered courteously, If you are a true man, you are welcome to my fire, but why do you speak to me as to a knight, for I have neither armour nor horse? I saw you pass with both, said Prince Resolute, and I have just seen your armour on the rock, and I know what has befallen you. Prince Silvertongue looked at him with more surprise than ever, and noticing that the stranger was dressed like himself in the leather suit, "'that is worn under armour, and like him was armed only with a dagger,' he said, "'You too are a knight, and lost your horse and arms in that fearful river?' "'No,' said Prince Resolute, "'I lost them sooner, but let us sit by the fire and tell of our adventures.' "'So they told each other of the errand upon which they were going, "'and the adventures they had met, but without giving their names or rank. "'They agreed to join company and be faithful comrades.' And in no case to forsake each other. When morning broke, they set forth on the rocky road, and each, looking at each other, admired his handsome and stately person, and inwardly rejoiced at the good fortune of such a companion. The watchful fairies, who knew all that had passed, smiled among themselves and said, Now our gifts are doubled, meaning that the qualities of both princes would now serve each. As they journeyed on, The mountains rose steeper and steeper above them and finally closed in so much upon the rocky watercourse up which they toiled that the cliffs were like walls of rock on each side. Storm clouds now swept over the sky and thunder broke the stillness, the wind rushing with fury down the pass. Louder and louder roared the thunder and blinding flashes of lightning dazzled their eyes while the rain poured in heavy sheets. Their road now became a rushing torrent, and they struggled on, having as much as they could do to keep their footing and advantage. Suddenly, right in front, they found the way barred by a wall of rock, with no turn to right or left, no way of climbing the steep rocks down, which rushed cataracts of water from the rain. They stood for a moment perplexed, when looking more closely, they saw, breast high in the rock, across the way, A heavy bronze ring hanging from a staple. Above was written in deep letters the single word, Beware. Prince Resolute, always ready, seized the ring at once and pulled fiercely. A wide crack appeared in the rock, but the thunder and lightning redoubled in violence, and the noise and tumult of the storm were sufficient to overwhelm the stoutest. Nothing daunted. Prince Resolute pulled again, more fiercely than before, the rock opened farther but now the cliffs above came tumbling down and death seemed so certain an instant that prince silvertongue turned to fly but his companion seized his arm and with all his force pulled again at the ring when lo the rock opened the storm ceased as suddenly as it is risen and the way lay clear before them still clasping hands the knights passed quickly through without hesitation "'and it was well they did, for they had scarcely cleared the opening "'when the rock closed instantly, but without noise or jar, "'and looking back, they could scarcely believe their memories. "'So solid was the wall behind, so impressive the stillness that surrounded them. "'We are now on enchanted land,' said Prince Silvertongue. "'We have left our world behind, and we need to be watchful.' "'They began to descend the rocky pass,' "'which was much like that which they had climbed on the other side. "'They had not gone far when they saw, coming up towards them, two large lions, walking silently, but their fierceness, "'showing plainly in their savage eyes, stealthy step and bristling manes. "'The knights drew their daggers, and taking the sides, "'for the advantage of the rock, with brave hearts, "'advanced to the deadly struggle. "'It may be that for an instant each thought of his good armour and sword, now far behind, but the main thought was to do their best in whatever befell. To their surprise, the lions passed between without attacking them. They faced about, thinking they might turn, but the beasts kept on, and soon disappeared in the windings of the pass. Then they noticed that the way was strewn with the bones of men, and they wondered the more at their escape from a peril which they saw had been death to many before them. There is no harm in our knowing the reason, though they could not, and it was because their hearts were so firm. Had an eyelid of either knight quivered as he faced the savage glare of their eyes, the fierce beasts would have turned, and there would have been instantly a desperate struggle for life. The truth is that in the enchanted land it is force of spirit that prevails rather than force of body, and their dauntless courage was better to them than their swords or armour. End of chapter four, the two princes part one.